From Salesforce Studios, this is Blazing Trails. Welcome to the Blazing Trails podcast, presented by WordPress VIP. I'm Matt Jaffe, Senior Director at Salesforce. Today's guests are two award-winning chefs, Dominique Kren and Samin Nosrat. Dominique was nominated the world's best chef in 2016, and Samin is the author of the New York Times best-selling cookbook, Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, which was recently adapted into a Netflix docuseries that she stars in. If you haven't seen it, check it out. It's fantastic. Both of these amazing chefs join Louisa Burwood-Taylor, head of media and research at AgFunder, to discuss food systems and how they can be made more sustainable and more equitable. But before we get to today's conversation at Dreamforce, a word about WordPress VIP, who is making this show possible. WordPress VIP is the digital publishing solution that powers the world's top media companies, as well as marketing platforms for some of the best known brands like Time and Facebook. Later on in this episode, you'll hear more of my conversation from Dreamforce with their CEO, Nick Gurner. Now, here's Dominique Kren and Samin Nosrat speaking with Louisa Burwood-Taylor. Without further ado, it's my pleasure to introduce the moderator of our first panel session today, Ms. Louisa Burwood-Taylor. <laughs> Louisa is a journalist, an editor, and currently the head of media and research for AgFunder, the online venture capital firm focused on food tech and ag tech, the chief editor of the daily news site, AFN, she has over 10 years of financial journalism experience and has covered a range of financial products and markets during her career from equity capital to Asia and beyond. I don't know, you've been a busy woman. So pleasure, <laughs> welcome. Thank you. Thank you. How is everyone today? Oh, great. <laughs> but I wouldn't blame you if you were feeling a bit depressed. Uh, not a day goes by where we don't hear about an alarming climate statistic about how we're never going to reach the targets that we've been set on minimizing our impact um, on the climate. Just yesterday, there's a headline in The Guardian, fossil fuel production is on track to double the safe climate limit. And no doubt there were several more this week. But the energy industry is not the only one that is getting flack for its environmental footprint. More than ever before, the food and agriculture industries are also under the spotlight for their contribution to greenhouse gas emissions, which stands at around 14% of the total, which is just under transport. But I have good news. There are an increasing number of innovators and entrepreneurs who are developing technologies to help the industry be more sustainable. At AgFunder, we've been covering this for over six years now, and we've seen exponential growth in the number of startups and the amount of VC investment in this space. Um, we had a record-breaking year of $17 billion worth of investment last year, and we expect this year to be even bigger. In fact, this has been a really breakout year for our industry. No doubt you will have heard of some of these alternative burger products like Beyond Meat and Impossible Foods. They've really taken uh, the US by storm, and no, no doubt will be in other countries soon. And they've flung food tech into the spotlight. Um, consumers want to take action. And beyond um, uh, Burger King has had one of its best quarters on record since it launched the Impossible Whopper. Consumers want to know how their food is made and where it comes from. So I'm really excited today to be talking to two amazing award-winning chefs who both have strong views on this topic. Dominique Kren is the chef and owner of the three Michelin-starred Atelier Kren restaurant here in San Francisco. She has another two restaurants here and is planning a, th a fourth one in the Salesforce Tower. She's won numerous awards, including the world's best chef in 2016 and is an activist for positive change. So please welcome her to the stage. Uh, Samin Nosrat is the author of the New York Times best-selling cookbook, Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, which was adapted into an award-winning Netflix docuseries in which she stars. She learned to cook at the legendary Chef at Chez Panisse under Alice Waters. She's an educator, she's a food columnist, and she's very focused on empowering people to cook at home. So please welcome Samin to the stage. So it's great to be with you both here. Before we get into the serious stuff, I really want to know what did you both have for dinner last night? <laughs> I, mine's so pitiful. <laughs> I was uh, flying home from Los Angeles and I already know 
I always like get so hungry in the airport, so I try to pre-eat. So we stopped at my friend's taco place and got tacos, which was really smart because my flight was delayed so many times that by the time I got home, I just opened the fridge and um, I had roast. I had preemptively roasted vegetables before I left because I was like, if smart, if they're not there, then I'm only going to eat quesadillas. So I just ate cold butternut squash and cauliflower. <laughs> Chocolate. No, I'm kidding. Uh, no, I just uh, very simple. Um, fish and salad and I made that at home so what's your favorite food to cook that's what I just said grilled cheese sandwich <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, no I like everything I mean I don't have any favorite I just cook whatever I, yeah you know so so how you know what have been some of the key changes you've noticed in the food system since you've been cooking or you know ever in the last few years um well I mean it's been um you mean changes in a way that people... So it could be the quality of the food that you're getting, where you're yeah. purchasing it from. I mean, it's... it's. I mean, I've had to, when I came to United States in the, in the 90s, I was a little bit surprised about the quality of food in America. And I love America, but I'm like, what's going on here? <laughs> and uh, no, it's true. I mean, you know, you grow up in a place where you go to the market, you know, with your mom and, you know, every week and... Uh, you grow up not, you know, with farmers and, you know, so quality of food is very important. So I think that change, I think uh, America is waking up, maybe like San Francisco, I don't know, in the middle, but um, uh, but it's, I think it's changing a lot. I think communities starting to come back together. Um, I think it's people are more conscious, which is amazing. Mm. Um, and that's the change that I've been seeing. I mean, I've been following my vision and philosophy for over 30 years, you know, and I never bought anything commercial or anything. I always work with the community and farmers, but I think now people are conscious that this is something they need to do. Mm -hmm. Are you noticing that as well? Um, I mean, I have the positive and the negative to share. So, yeah. you know, for me, one really amazing thing that I watched happen was... Um, when I was a young cook at Chez Panisse in the early 2000s, Michael Pollan, the journalist Michael Pollan, wrote this story about, it was called Power Steer, and it was the basis that became the omnivore's dilemma, and it was about sort of his journey through the life of one steer that he bought and raised um, on a big, like a corporate farm. And that led to a cultural awareness of grass, the importance of grass-fed beef. And at Chez Panisse, when Alice Waters read it, she immediately declared that we would only serve grass, completely grass-fed and finished beef. But at, in 2000, there, was not, there were not like great sources for that kind of beef in this country. It didn't taste very good. So as the cooks, we were pissed. We were like, this sucks. We have to serve bad beef. But she was adamant. <laughs> And what it did was it created a market. It created a market for something. It's, we stood up as sort of industry leaders, and now grass-fed beef. You know, you can find like there's like fast food places that serve grass-fed beef. So that's been an amazing thing to watch over the last almost 20 years. But also, I think I've also been the witness to a lot of consolidation. You know, and small farms not figuring out the economics of you know existing. I've just chicken, just the like chicken, which is my favorite. Thing, <laughs> is, you know, in my own personal experience, we had an amazing farm called Soul Food Farm in Vacaville that we would purchase beautiful pastured chickens that lived completely like range-free life, you know, free-range life. And that farm couldn't make the economics of raising chicken work because the chicken meat would have to be like $12 a pound for them to have a good lifestyle for these, for the four humans who ran this place. So they stopped raising and selling chicken, and then we sort of went to the next possible place, the next possible place. And now for restaurants, there are very few in the Bay Area, which is, this is the beacon of, you know, sustainable agriculture. We all pretty much just buy Mary's Chicken, which is a pretty big factory farm. You know, it's an organic one. But to me, that's something that we don't really talk about because you just slap the word organic, you slap the word free range, you slap the word whatever. Right. Walmart is this amazing source of organics now. Costco is an amazing source of organics. And those things are really important for our environment. But also, like, what does it actually mean sort of behind the curtain? Those are questions I don't find people asking. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so how could um, consumers go and find, you know, that pasture-raised uh, meat? I think people have to, I mean, this is a really 
this, we're just getting straight into it, guys. Like, <laughs> I think it's a really complicated thing. But I think we all need to be paying more for our meat. And because when you see what it means on the lot about the lives of the animals, the lives of the people who are raising these animals, for you to insist that your chicken is $2.99 a pound for organic or $5.99 a pound or whatever, it, it doesn't translate. And yet for me to sit here on this fancy stage in this fancy building, you know, with you fancy people and insisting that we all pay more for our food is a really complicated thing to, to say when there are so many people for whom food access is really complicated and difficult and impossible. So I think it's a systemic question that we're not really like, we're not sort of pushed to ask questions about. We're not pushed to look into. And I think it's in, it comes down to individual responsibility because this food system is not going to like, you know, the work, capitalism doesn't want you to ask questions. They want you to just order your food from wholefoods.com or whatever. So it's, it's a tricky thing. But for like a simple answer, go to start going to the farmer's market. Start getting to know your local producers. Yeah. You know, go visit that farm. See how those people live. See how their workers live. That's, that's you know, the first step, I think. And Dominique, with your, with your restaurants, how, um, how involved are you with the farmers that you're sourcing from? Well, I'm, I'm very lucky. We are very lucky because we have a farm up in Sonoma, so, uh, which is biodynamic and organic. And it's just, you know, it's, uh, it's a lot of work, takes a lot of time. But at least we are producing, you know, uh, the things we want to serve on the menu. Farmer market, deal with your farmer, it's, it's number one thing. But I know it takes a lot of time. Uh, but also, you know, it's, it's about us changing, you know, our behavior. You know, we spend... I don't know, 24 hours on the phone. Maybe it's nice, you know, out of those 24 hours, take about 10 minutes out of your day, go to the farmer market and just like really connect with those people because they need us too, you know. So, I mean, it's complicated, you know. It's I so mean, I think we are in a world that we've been giving so much, but we forget to give back. So now I think it's, it's time to just like realize that we messed up this world pretty pretty badly and it's not about being you know vegan or vegetarian or like going to the extreme but it's it's also understanding that there is a huge problem you know i mean the food system is complicated the meats the farming is complicated when you say you know yes married chicken is organic but everybody is using it it's like mm, you have to think about this so mm -hmm. what do we do you know individually to make things better, you know. Um, you know, we can pr preach a better food system, but I think it's up to us, each of us, to every day to do something that has, you know, a meaning and an understanding. So be more conscious about what you, what you do and be more conscious when you go to a store. And, and I know it's a problem also that it's expensive. Organic is expensive too. But it's BS for me because, I mean, some people are organic and they're not really organic. Yeah. You know, it's just it's like, just we need to find a way. You know. <laughs> maybe we need to have a different uh, president, you know, of United States that... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we need, like, it needs to stop, it start from the top, you know, and, and everything is, is involved politically. So when you start to change laws, you know, it has to go. So what I think now... We are the people, so we need to change it in our own community and not, not care about the political system. And maybe that way, things are moving. And I can see it. I think the farmer market is, I mean, I talk to a lot of farmers right now, and mm -hmm. more farmers also, more youngsters want to get into that. So, but yeah. it takes time, you know. Yeah. And so on that topic, you know, there's um, a lot of technologies that I'm, I'm writing about every day that are helping farmers to farm more sustainably, to conserve water, to use fewer harmful pest, uh, pesticides and, and too much fertilizer. How aware are you of those technologies and do you talk to your farmer suppliers about them? Well, I mean, there is zero tolerance for pesticide on the farm. So uh, and I'm very lucky to have a farmer that knows all that, you know, um, yeah, but that's an education that needs to be um, given to a lot of people that want to get into that business because is, I mean, you know, I mean, when I read when I, before I came here, I mean, America, in, I think up to the 1940s, it was a farmland. Mm -hmm. It was amazing. It was like it was rich of, you know, vegetable and all that. And then the industrial, you know, uh, uh, industrialization of food came in the 50s and everything disappeared and 
what does OPSD education and tell people how to do things right? Mm-hmm. So that needs to come from that, you know. Where should uh, that come from, that education? Is, it, is that a responsibility of the government, do you think? Well, non-profits? I've, yes. First of all, education should be free. And this is one of the things. Food is the core of the society. If you don't have food, you don't have any culture on any society. And sometimes I feel that if there is no education about this, is almost the government want to control the way that we think and the way that we eat. So, yeah, it needs to be more education here. I mean, you can find them in, you know, when you go to Sweden, when you go... Uh, in France now, there is a lot of education about this. And I think this is very important. We are feeding ourselves. We need to know what's going on and how it's been produced, you know. So uh, why there is such a little education about it? I mean, go to school. I mean, what our children are eating at school is... Horrific. It's horrific. It's so. lo- like lower grade than most prisons, you know, what's served in schools. You know, I mean, just... In the elementary school around the corner from my house, my friends take their kids. And uh, in Oakland, all the kids have uh, available to them is free breakfast. It's just built into the, which is great. But what they get for free breakfast is usually like a super sugary muffin. You know, it's not. And for a lot of kids, that's all they have to eat. And they rely on that, those calories. But also, um, is that really the thing that's going to nourish them and help them perform the best at school? And so the people who really need those cha- those systems to be changed are the ones who have the least sort of power and resources to make those changes. So I feel, I agree with you. I think it's all about individual change. I mean, this is also like we've taken on the very largest version of this conversation. You know, we're talking about every sort of this, like as broad as possible, but I spend a lot of my time thinking about sort of the responsibility. I mean, we can sit around and discuss, you know, crop subsidies that date back to the early 1900s and all of these things that have resulted in the way things are. And also, so I do think a lot of the responsibility does fall to government, but government's not going to be motivated to make any changes until we ask for that. You know, and I think because a lot of us are so disconnected or don't have this information or don't really understand what makes a box of cereal be $3.99 and, you know, actual corn be more expensive or whatever, like the calories per calorie be more expensive, um, we don't have those tools. And so to me, my hope is to help educate people, to help inspire them and to move people to really be motivated to make individual change in the way that we eat. And for now, like I, I, I think my focus in the last six months, I've read so much about climate change and I feel like our responsibility as cooks and educators is to educate people and use our platforms for, to teach people about the importance of agriculture mm-hmm. on, on climate change. And as much as I really fundamentally understand that climate change will not be, like there will not be a shift in it until there is major policy shift and corporate shift. I don't know that that corporate shift or policy shift will happen without people demanding it. And that requires us to have an individual understanding to be making our own sacrifices and get angry about why, you know, companies aren't making sacrifices, why governments aren't making sacrifices. So I feel like I can speak on an individual level to people about what it means to like give up your cheese and how much that sucks. Or like, you know, or give up your chicken and how much that sucks. And also how I'm not giving up my cheese. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't have to. I'm French. Right? <laughs> yeah. But I do think it's, you know, I think that's the common thread in all of these parts of the food system is like, you know, there's incredible, you know, we, ta- we have our versions of our farmer's markets that we're familiar with here and we know our farmers, but also across this country, the farmers and small farms that we're, we're familiar with are the minority. It's like farming is big, big business and those farmers are aging out and there aren't young people rising up to take over those jobs. And so what's going to happen? The food system's sort of like on the brink of imminent collapse on, in that way. Like there's so much sort of yeah. Over just over the horizon that we don't know about and I'm still learning about. And if I don't even know about it and I live this 24-7, like I can't expect you guys to know about it either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
But talking about taking um, personal actions and, and using your platform to, to influence consumers, Dominique, you've been quietly transitioning all your restaurants to quietly. fully yeah. vegetarian or pescatarian. Yes. Quite quietly until last week you made a big announcement. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's like, it's not like I'm like, suddenly I just wake up, you know. So um, Petit Crane was open in 2015. It's never been any meat or any meat product. It was focused on... Uh, vegetable with the farmers and the farm and just sustainable, you know, seafood. Um, and we never talk about it. It's just like, for me, it's like, I'm just doing this. I want to do this. Atelier Crane's been meat-free for uh, over a year and a half. And then, um, then back Crane. So I think for me, it's like you say, and I said that before, yes, chef, we have such a huge responsibility, you know, and it's not I'm vegetarian or vegan, like I say, I just, I, the meat industry is so complicated. And um, I'm sorry, I don't want to use a, a piece of meat in my restaurant, which I don't serve a lot of people. And it's just like all this waste and all that. So, and I, you know, I don't know where that come from. So. I just want to make, you know, I just want to make a statement and, and, and leave the things that I believe right now. We need to make, we need to have action. So action, when you say sometimes you might make some sacrifices and it's okay. And um, it's like, wow, okay. Or maybe like just eat meat once a week. It's just like, obviously it's, the meat is destroying most of the planet. Mm. And this is a fact. It's just like, yeah, it's, it can be delicious. It's a fact, you know. Uh, I mean, I, when I go back to France and I go to, you know, to friends that I know that have farms, I'm like, meat is super good, you know. But, uh, <laughs> but it's, not, it's not about what we think is great. It's just like we have to think about what's the, the consequences. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I, was, I was saying the other day, it was in, it's not about meat, but it was about plastic. Plastic was one of the greatest inventions in the 1970s. Okay, but it was a great invention, but nobody thought about the consequences. This is 1970. What's year we are? 2019. Plastic is destroying the planet completely, the ocean and everything. So it's just like, so I think when we do something and when we buy something, and I say that food, eating and food is an act of activism, we need to understand the, cons the consequences when we do something. And that's what I'm doing right now. Mm -hmm. It's like, if I do something, there is, there is a purpose, but there is consequences. So I want people to be aware about this. And yes, it's not easy to change a way of doing things, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, um, and it's I mean, also about inspiring consumers. I mean, it's difficult t trying to remove meat from your yeah. daily lives. That's yeah. always the sort of central focal point of a meal. What advice can you then give people like, about how do to do it? Yeah. I mean, yeah. if you take meat away, then you're like, how many quesadillas do I have to eat or whatever, right? You're just like, <laughs> it's this big filling thing. And it's, it's for so many of us, not everyone, but for the vast majority of cultures in the world, it's a centerpiece or at least a really important part of at least dinner, if not multiple meals in the day. So to ask people to give that up is a huge thing. I mean, I was reading this amazing book. It's called We Are the Weather by Jonathan Safran Foer. And in it, he points out that, I mean, the whole book is about changing the way you eat. He doesn't even broach the topic of your diet till page 70. And on the way there, he's like, this topic is so um, touchy for people that in an in, in, inconvenient truth, you know, Al Gore's film, which was at, its, at the time and still in some ways like the biggest sort of statement and, and communicator of information and the importance of this issue for, for people at large, he never mentions food. He never mentions changing our diets because it's such a, like a tricky thing to broach, especially if you're a politician, because it, heart, it has to do with your childhood and your nostalgia and your family and your culture. And it's asking a lot of people. And yet, if we don't ask that of people, like what, what's left? You know, there will be nothing left for us. And so to me, I, I feel like my responsibility is to teach you how to enjoy non-meat things more. And also, I'm not asking, like I struggle with this my own self every day. Like I made a commitment to be a part-time vegan. I'm a daytime vegan, <laughs> nighttime non-vegan, nighttime chicken. And, uh, <laughs> geez. <laughs> and, um, 
And almost every day I fail, I'm like, but butter, you know, or, and, and so, and I'm not going to change 40 years of habit overnight, but what's important to me is to try and to talk about it because, you know, Thanksgiving's coming up. Like, do you really need that turkey on the table? Turkey sucks. Like, like, (laughs) like it sucks. (laughs) Like, like turkey's always dry. Eat all the other stuff. I mean, like, it's just, and, and, and. It's, it's, a, it's, it's, I feel like just sort of imposing sort of rules on people or demands and saying this is what you got to do without giving people tools yeah. and also the opportunity to talk about how hard it actually is, yeah. it is a mistake, is a mistake. But also we don't know how to cook vegetables. Like we have been so separated from that. And also if, you know, most Americans grew up with vegetables from a can also, I mean, frozen vegetables are amazing. I think I always have a freezer full of them so that I always have them when I come home from a trip. But people are not connected to it. You know, I make cauliflower and people are like, what spices are on this? And I'm like, it's literally salt and oil. Like they're, you know, and they're like, is it special cauliflower? And I'm like, no, it's like, you know, but it's like people feel so dis- divorced from our food and that is, you know, due to years and years and years of things that were outside of our control. So to me, I'm like, how do I empower you, give you a little bit of control and also motivate you to make some change and motivate you? Maybe if I get, you know, five of you guys to go read that book or to commit to eating less animal products, um, you will then have to talk about it around the Thanksgiving table. And maybe that passes on and that passes on and that passes on. And you don't know who it's passing on to and you don't know how many people it will get to. And maybe at the next election, people will vote differently. And often the, for it's local leaders who make the biggest and most immediate changes. Not the, I mean, as much as whatever. But, uh, <laughs> but, but though, and that's who we need to sort of be setting, setting the standards. And in California, we are, often the trendsetter for the rest of the country. So to get people in power here who will make those changes, you know, outlaw plastic bags, outlaw that kind of stuff, that's the stuff that then trickles out. We're going to take a quick break now to bring you a conversation I had with the CEO of WordPress VIP, Nick Garner. WordPress VIP is the leading provider of enterprise WordPress, and they power companies like Facebook, Spotify, and more. I had the chance to sit down with Nick at Dreamforce to discuss how his company is grappling with topics like the future of work, digital transformation, and more. So we are here at Dreamforce, and I think one of the things that you and I have been talking about is Dreamforce is really the epicenter of the Salesforce community. It's, yeah. it's the Salesforce community, the trailblazer community coming together from all over the world. You guys at WordPress VIP have such a robust, strong community yourselves. Yeah. What is that sense of community like for you guys? Yeah, it's a, it's been amazing being here at Dreamforce because it really helps, you know, this being my first one here, it really helps crystallize for me just what this community around Salesforce really looks like and it and how like how many similarities I think there are to a work for, to the WordPress community. I mean, when we talk about, you know, WordPress at large, we're talking about a community of of thousands and thousands across the globe, there's a there'll be a thousand. They're called word camps across the world, where these are events that are locally arranged. They're everywhere from you know they're across Asia, Europe, anywhere, six continents, and they are attended from a, a very passionate uh, group of folks that come there. A couple of weeks ago, I was at the WordCamp US, big gathering of thousands here in North America, and these are people that are just passionate about the software, the platform, what it's capable of delivering and and really contributing to the success of the overall ecosystem. And being here this week is just really, it's just great to see because so many of the conversations I've been having this week are, are coming from a place of like, how do we all lift each other up? How do we take what we're already doing? But like, let's bring that to another level and let's do that together. Let's not, this is something where the, the rising tide really does lift all boats and, and, and getting a sense of that this week's been really incredible. Um, we're sitting in a room right now that is kind of a, this glass room that's looking out over. It's like a little orb yeah. that we're in. I it's, feel like we're just going to like levitate and float away. That'd be amazing if we could. This room is huge. The, uh, I wouldn't put it past the people on site here. I mean, we certainly have the, the know-how to make that happen. <laughs> yeah. And it's been great because it, I, it actually lets me kind of like see in a physical space what really, you know, you don't get a sense of it in a digital context, right? We've got commerce over here. You've got marketing over there. You're, you know, all of these pieces that you're sort of looking at and, and you can see how they come together. And for me, you know, where 
where a platform like WordPress can sit in the middle of a lot of these pieces here. It really is the glue that holds together like many different aspects of a customer's experience. Uh, and when you kind of have that core there that's really strong and you can say like, oh, here is how things from our commerce like feed into what we're doing in content marketing. And here's how we do lead acquisition. And we actually can, you know, quickly assemble landing pages that are in support of other campaigns that we're doing. And here's how we're driving traffic to those things. Like when the CMS really empowers that level of agility um, so that you're doing that, you're like, have an idea, you, you can ship it, you know, that day, you're so much more able to really uh, capture all of the value that I see in this room and everything here. And it's just been really great for me to sort of see, gosh, here's how all these elements can really come together. And here's all these people that are impacted by these different workflows and, and by these different capabilities. So it's incredible because yeah. I feel like it would be easy for that sense of community to not exist. Yeah. Like it would be easy given, you know, the work we're talking about if, if, if that somehow got lost. Yeah. But then you come here and you see the power of it yeah. and you see the enthusiasm. I mean, just being on site for, for Dreamforce day one, when the doors open and you see that flood of people. I mean, you and I were talking earlier, it was like Black Friday or something. I was like, <laughs> what, what, what is happening? Where are the $12 TVs that they're giving out? <laughs> It's just great to be a part of something like that, right? The energy there is just, it, 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 it's genuine. You cannot sort of force those things. And it's been really exciting to be a part of it. On the WordPress VIP side of this, we've, you know, there's, we benefit from sort of, there's WordPress as a whole has a massive, you know, strong community around it. And then really from VIP, going back to your first question of me, which is like, what is this VIP thing? Like we are able to take that same community, but really focus it in on like a community of folks that are very alike in the fact that, they are, you know, part of a Fortune 500 organization and they are sort of working against these, a lot of the things we've been talking about here on this, or they are at a major media organization. And so we'll pull together similar events and, you know, in different locations and bring these folks together to share in ideas, to share in best practices, to, to share in technologies that integrate into the platform and come together in this way. And, and that sense of community is never where there's winners and losers, like everyone coming together. You're all is, in it together. It's all in it together. And like everybody uh, is better by sharing through these things. And there's there's a ton of trust that has to go into building that. That does not happen. Of I mean, course. This is something that's built over a decade plus. But when you've got it, gosh, what an asset. What a wonderful thing it is when those things come together like that. It makes it a special place. That was Nick Gernert, CEO of WordPress VIP. To find out more, visit WPVIP.com. That's WPVIP.com. And now, back to our conversation at Dreamforce. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's all about balance, you know? Mm -hmm. It's not about, like, extremisms, you know? No. It's just, it's We're never going to make it because yeah. everyone's not going to go for it. No. And this is a thing where everyone that's has okay, to buy you in. Know? Yeah. So, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in the UK, there's it always was to have meat and two veg. Mm -hmm. There's always, like, this recommended meal to have. What can be replacing that meat now? Is there any kind of easy fixes? You know, I hear that a lot of people are eating mushrooms, more like almost mushroom steaks or I mean, it's, squash it's, steaks. Is, uh, do you have yeah. any, any tips for things that you serve Sometimes at your restaurant? What is, everything can replace meat. I mean, there is country that is, they have been vegetarian since the beginning of time, you know. So um, it's about how you... Um, the way that you cook and the way... Yeah, I mean, vegetables are the rock star, man. It's like delicious, you know. <laughs> Uh, but it's just, if you get to that mindset, I was like, oh my God, what I'm going to, what I need to replace my meat. It's like, no, what's out there that is delicious and I can try. Mm -hmm. See that we need to like, it's not about replacing something. It's about evolving and, and trying something else, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, what do you think of the meat alternatives? So I mentioned a couple, the Impossible Burger and Beyond Meat. <laughs> you saw me take a deep breath. <laughs> well, I, <th> <laughs> <there's> a, <laughs> I was like... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have a problem with it. Okay. Why is that? And are you talking about the plant-based um, burgers? As That's what you have a problem with? Um, well, I'm not going to say which burger it is, but uh, I was on the panel with one of the CEO and the founder of it, it's like, it's like, do you want to make a plant-based burger? So make it good for the environment and make it good. And it's like, it's like, what is a new burger? And it's like, it's, it's so weed. It's all those shitty bright bite product that is like pesticide and all that. I'm like, what's, what the hell? You know, it's like, so, yeah. Um, so if you want to do something, it's just like, you get it. I mean, obviously it's, it's, there's something, it's, it's an alternative for it's now. It's an alternative, but yeah. I think there is other way to 
It's like, if you do a burger that is meatless, it's not a freaking burger, I'm sorry. (laughs) I mean, it's something else, right? Well, okay, I have a slightly different take, which is, you know, uh, so many people rely on fast food for their calories and for their getting through the day. So to me, I think it's it's a both and that like everything about climate change is both and not either or not either systemic or individual not either vegetarian or whatever but i think to get if like some percentage of fast food burgers can be replaced with impossible burgers i'm all for that i'm all for that because the most immediate thing that we have to do is like sort of replace animal agriculture with something else. And there's not gonna be some clean sort of swipe that we can do to fix the whole food system in one go. So I, and I actually think Impossible Burgers kind of tastes kind of good. I mean, I have, they sent me a whole bunch. They've been in my freezer. They're still there. Like I haven't eaten them, but I probably will. I think they, I mean, I have, it's been a lot, maybe 20 or 30 years since I've had a McDonald's burger. So I think I don't have a lot of like comparison, but I usually, when I go to In-N-Out, I just get a grilled cheese. I don't need the, like, to me, I want, I just want all the sauces and the cheese. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, <laughs> me too. Yeah. yeah. So it's, but I'm not the person they're aiming at. So I'm just glad that it exists. I'm glad that a lot of people think that it's a good alternative. I don't really want to eat that. What I think is a lot of people miss when they are like, are trying to look for a meat alternative is umami yeah. and um, texture. And I don't really have a solution to the texture problem, but there's a lot of other amazing sources of umami in the world. And so, yeah. yeah. And I, one of the things people always ask me, like whenever there's a talk like this in the audience, they're like, well, what do you eat? And I'm like, well, I have a pretty like weird, (laughs) I travel a lot and then I come home and I'm like, I just want vegetables because when you're traveling, all you eat is quesadillas. And so... (laughs) And so, uh, and so, or pizza or mac and cheese or whatever that's just like cheese and carb thing. And so, bagels. Um, so, I at home want to eat vegetables. So, I make rice in the rice cooker, I make broccoli or green beans or whatever I have. And then I take, I learned this from my like hippie friends who were trying to, when they were little growing up in Hawaii, their mom, like the treat at the health food store was like if they were good, they could get a piece of marinated tofu. <laughs> And so this, my friend Mara makes this tofu that is like, and I'm always like, why is it so good? And I didn't grow up liking tofu. It's not, I love Korean tofu soup, but I'm not drawn to like mate preparing tofu at home, but she just marinates, like she gets medium firm tofu. I think the texture is crucial that it has to be the medium firm one. She marinates it with Bragg's liquid aminos, which is like the hippie version of soy sauce. It's the unfermented soy sauce, which is pure umami. And then she fries it in coconut oil. And because the coconut oil gets really, really hot, the outside of the tofu gets this like lacy, golden, crispy crust. Mm. And the inside, which is that medium firm texture, turns into this incredible custard. It's so, 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 it's so addictive and so, so, so good. I think she's working for the tofu. Yeah. (laughs) What's funny is, this is so funny. So when I started my column at the New York Times, Sam Sifton, the like editor, was like, listen, like you can have this column, but every recipe you write needs to be a winner. Like if you write about lamb shanks, lamb shanks need to like be sold out on the entire eastern seaboard that weekend. And I was like, how am I gonna write these? And so when I wrote the tofu recipe in an article, it got so popular that people were writing me being like, the medium term firm tofu is sold out in the store. <laughs> and I wrote to him, I was like, I did it, but with tofu. <laughs> But I will say it takes like five minutes to make. I eat it at least once a week. It's so simple. It's so delicious. And it's just like, and it gives me that sort of satisfaction of the thing. And yeah, I don't know. Also, I'm a weird person. Like I get obsessed with things and I eat them for three, like three weeks. And then I'm like, I never want to eat that again. So, <laughs> so right now I'm like in an anti-chicken phase. Yeah. <laughs> More tofu. So we know how you feel about some of the um, plant-based burgers. There are some innovators that are um, actually trying to recreate meat. Uh, oh, like lab-grown meat. The lab-grown mm-hmm, meat. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm not again. I'm not against change, but it's like it's, if you want to do the change, don't do it um, in a way that is also not that great, you know. Whoa! Um, <laughs> why do we have to recreate meat? Why we can like just like thinking about maybe 
just you know doing something that is different you know it's, a, it's like it's like being so afraid of change but we're going to give you change but we're going to give you still that hint of like that that one that is still perhaps meat it's like no just like can, can we think about something else so i've got a i mean it's true i mean it's just like why to recreate something that is just yeah i mean why we don't change the food system and still have meat but doing properly and thoughtfully and and people be conscious about it it's like I don't want to eat something that is just is not natural. It's just crazy. So, what what do you mean by doing meat properly? Can you can you share with us what is a, the best way to be raising meat? If so, you do eat meat um, still from time to time. How do you? Yeah, think I about do. That I mean, it's thing? just like um, I mean, like so. Meat for a long time was literally for the rich. Okay, yeah. so no one had meat on their table maybe once a week or once a month. You know, it was something that it just special occasion. Yeah, and then this 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 idea that it just make make you feel more you know wealthy to eat meal like with yeah. I think when the the meat uh, restaurant like the Shen restaurant and start to like you know oh, 19, well, like, in the 50s in the 50s it's like this idea is like and and it just like make me think about. Who are we as human? Are we follower? Are we like making? Oh yeah, I'm gonna eat meat. So I'm like, hey, hey, I get. I went to this restaurant. I got a filet mignon. I was like, oh, cool. You're so cool right now. It's like it's true. It's like it's it's weird. Mm-hmm. It's just like thinking about. First of all, we need to understand what meat's doing to your your body, and we don't need meat every day. We don't. Mm-hmm. And so it's like changing the behavior. And like when you do that, then you also have maybe farmers that start to read things differently, you know? And then, and when the market is, then there is nothing, then there is nothing to sell. Mm-hmm. It's about, it's, a, it's about season, like eating vegetable. When the tomato is not in season, do not eat tomato. Mm-hmm. When the bro- you know, it's just like thinking this way and have a different, you know, it's like diversity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and historically, meat is seasonal. You know, animals, it take, they have a gestation period. They're born, t- yeah, exactly. historically, they're born, like animal, new animals are born in the spring. That's why we eat lamb at Easter. You know, all of, there is a reason for this thing. And all of that stuff has been manipulated yeah. and perverted to be able to offer us everything at every time. And as populations across the world sort of get out of poverty and there's more, a great bigger middle class across the world, those people have been watching TV and watching people eat meat on TV since the beginning of time. And they're like, I want that now too for myself. Mm -hmm. And so that a lot of the meat in this world does not even be, you know, not to say America doesn't have its problems, but there's a global middle, like a new middle class and what they want is beef. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, because it's, it's like it brings you to a different exactly, class for them. totally, and it's a signifier. Yeah, and that to me is has nothing to do with like cooking or anything. It has to do with the messages that we're sending to the out to the world about what makes you a happy person. Yeah. You know, I mean, I get a chocolate croissant in the, minute, in the morning. It makes me so happy. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. So. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so based on your reactions to those two um, innovations, I suppose, plant-based meat and the cultivated meat, I want to do a hot or not round with a few other Ooh, trends. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you have to say hot or not if you think it's yeah, that's, a yeah. good idea or not. Yeah. Um, <laughs> She's all not. <laughs> but, <laughs> everything. <laughs> Robotic restaurants. No. Oh, my God. No. No. <laughs> No, and you know what? For me, this is like, I can't, sorry, I'm interrupting your lightning round, but like, this is really important for me because, and I'm sure for you too, because to me, actually, one of the most offensive things, and it's actually in a lot of ways a symptom or a representative of all of this other stuff that we're talking about. I like probably 15 years ago, I used to say, I was like, okay, well, everything's being digitized, but at least food will never be digitized. At least, like, even in the saddest version of eating, if you don't, are a total hermit and you order takeout, you have to open the door and give the money to the guy who brought you your takeout. Or you have to go to the grocery store and interact with the cashier. There's at least some modicum of like human interaction. Yeah. And so the idea, to me, the idea that that is being stripped away and offered as a convenience to us is to me one of the most offensive and upsetting parts. And also a symptom of everything else, you know, the... The digital, like, and I say this as a person who spends a lot of time on my phone and I hate myself for it, but I can't, I'm addicted too. And yet, like, 
I feel so much better when I put the phone down and I go out into the world and I in interact with somebody. So a robotic restaurant is one of the most offensive. And I was so, like, secretly, I had schadenfreude when, like, the robotic quinoa restaurant in Berkeley went out of business. I was like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, what about uh, alcohol-free drinks? Oh, hot. What is that? Well, that's <laughs> <laughs> no, good. That's good. <laughs> uh, there are companies <laughs> creating um, that's something that gives you the feel of like a spirit that you might mix with it, like a gin and tonic, but it's a non-alcoholic gin. <laughs> so that's water a then. It's water. No, I'm just I'm water. Um, CBD. It, 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 oh, sorry. It's great. Oh, CBD is cool. CBD. Ah! Yeah, CBD is good. Hot, yeah. yeah, okay. I had some well, I, I, so I, I just so I went through sixteen treatment of uh, cancer treatment. So CBD is good. <laughs> but it's it's also you know I mean marijuana. It's been a plant that has been here forever. Talk about plant based. I mean. <laughs> Yeah, what about plant-based burger? Yeah, <laughs> no, but it's been around for a long time, and it's you know, and 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 I know the uh, uh, the medical industry or whatever in the what was it in the nineteen. 19- Oh, oh, and, oh! You're talking about like when they just decided to demonize all yeah, drugs yeah, and turn everything into schedule yeah, one substance. It's, it's natural, so yes. yeah, mm-hmm. I'm all for it. <laughs> I got uh, so high the other night. I'm all for it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, we're running out of time. We've got one more um, insect-based ice cream. Um, Insect as uh, a lot I, of protein. Yeah, I'm totally into that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, and even, you know, I had uh, my friend, um, Alec Atala, that was cooking with me last year at Atelier Cran. And he was like, I'm going to do the menu that I do at Dom in Brazil. I'm like, good luck. I mean, good luck. You got to go through the um, uh, demigration mm-hmm. and all that. Dude, the guy brought like some like amazing ants. I mean, it was like mind blowing. I swear to God, it's so delicious. Are those the ones that taste like lemongrass? Oh, yeah. Well, he talks about them on his Chef's Table episode, and, and it's like, like on top awesome. of like um, um, he, he did, we did uh, he did it with like pineapple, and, and I was just like I was blown away. So, um, but they are great, you know, source of protein. Yeah, um, they use it a lot in, in South of America, yeah. you know, and not just and but other things. But yeah, why not? And they do, yeah. I think they're doing insect burgers as well. Yeah. But yeah. Like, like, once again, you know, if you do, yeah. <laughs> A caveat. <laughs> uh, the thing I'll say, this isn't about insect burgers, but like any, I think this is an example that I can, I think sums up what we're thinking. So this company sent me this, their plant-based ice cream, and I have to say it was so delicious, so, so, so delicious, but I won't name the company because... I'm like, their whole thing is like, it's so much better for the environment. You don't have to give a fan. And then it arrives in your house in like yeah. so much styrofoam. Yeah. And I'm like, man, you guys, like you're not looking at the whole picture here. Yeah. This exactly. is bananas. And so to me, that's the thing, which is like, sure, you might be solving one problem, but you're creating a totally different one. Totally. And if we're not totally. like understanding yeah. this is yeah. a systemic situation. So I'm like, yeah, I'll eat some insect ice cream, but like, you know what I mean? Like, maybe that's not, like, actually, that's just a weird Band-Aid for something that's, like, has, like, a lot of blood shooting out. Totally. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no, I mean, I think this is true. I mean, I, my assistant is here, and I drive her crazy all the time. Um, I, you know, even in the restaurant, we, like, packaging. Ugh. It's such a big deal for us, you know. It's like, so now I'm like do not bring your trash to my restaurant, you know? So, so what we did, we uh, tried to educate those company, like if we get wine or um, fish, you know, it's like there is a way that we ask them to package it. So it's not, it's like just, you know, follow, you know, kind of the philosophy that you have. You want to be sustainable, you want to be all that. Don't bring that shit to my restaurant that if it's not packaged. It's true, you know, so, but we also have to do that, you know. Um, I mean, people were able to do it with the straw. The straw yeah. was just this dumb thing. 
which now everyone's like, cool, we fixed climate change. But at least, right? But like, the, it does serve an amazing, yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's like an amazing example because like, how fast did we go from straws to everyone carrying their own straw in their pocket? Like, you know, because people were like, I saw a sea turtle, sea turtle's dead. Okay, cool. Like, so if it is possible, people can all grow together and stand up and say, we want this change and we're willing to pay for it and we're willing to sacrifice. So I think we just have to do it for something a little bit bigger. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's the education, but I want to tell you a story. It's like, it's very funny. So I have two five years old, two girls, fraternal, not twin. And um, we just, you know, we talk to them, they see things, but like, we don't like push anything on them. And we went to a restaurant the other day and um, Charlotte is five years old. And I tell that story because I love that story. It's like, blow my mind. Um, then so the waitress came and she's like, so can I give you guys, you know, water and like ice and, you know, and Charlotte's like, okay, you can bring me water. I don't want any ice, but I don't want any plastic straw in it because that straw is going to go to the ocean and hurt the turtle. Oh. And so it's like, it's like they know, so they know that, yeah. you know. Yeah. And so that's, I think this is very important and I think is being conscious. And I don't want to like advertise anything, but... First of all, we're trying to have the restaurant all waste-free. But in, in next year at Salesforce, we're opening a boutique rent, which is, uh, will be all uh, waste-free. Uh, we're also going to have a coffee shop. Um, you're going to have to bring your own cup, or you're going to have to buy some sustainable razor cup. I know it's going to piss a lot of people, but I don't, I don't give, I mean, I don't care. It's... <laughs> That's awesome. Exa yeah. Or you can, you can come and like drink the coffee there, you know? It's like kind of cool and to interact with others. Um, you know, <laughs> no, it's, it's true, you know? It's like, stop for one second, you know? All those people that are working at Salesforce, you know? I mean, you have 10 minutes to, yeah, well, I'm looking you know, at you because yeah. <laughs> you work there. Uh, but like, it's just like, take your time, just come and enjoy, you know? And it's not going to be any plastic. We're going to reuse everything. Uh, we have a lot of things. We have a farm that we, everything that, you know, we use, we can go back and put that back back in the soil. You know, it's just, and it's not easy. I mean, mm -hmm. we're struggling with it every day. It's like, oh, wow, wow what am I going to do to not do this? And, mm -hmm. But it's so rewarding. And we've been working on it for the last few years. And it's just so rewarding. And then the When does it open? Uh, 2020. <laughs> April 2020. Fantastic. <laughs> um, well, we're going to have to wrap up now, but thank you so much for a very inspiring, very no, fun conversation. No, let's stay here. <laughs> that was Dominique Kren, Samin Nosrat, and Louisa Burwood-Taylor at Dreamforce 2019. If you enjoyed this conversation and you want more like it, be sure to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. That'll do it for another episode of Blazing Trails. Thanks for listening, and thanks to WordPress VIP for presenting the show with us. Join us next Thursday for a conversation about company values and culture creation with Marco Bazzari, CEO of Gucci. Blazing Trails is a production of Salesforce, a customer relationship management solution committed to helping you deliver the personalized experiences customers want. So they'll keep coming back again and again. Salesforce, bringing companies and customers together. Visit salesforce.com slash learn more.